Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. For sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm Jay. Well, folks, it finally happened. After years of poking and prodding and maybe some backdoor deals and handshakes, Sergey Fedorov's number 91... What? Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, I was handed the wrong sheet of paper. Eric Lindros's number 88 will be raised to the Raptors this year. Pete, uh, I'm... Mm-hmm. I deserve it? Sure. I mean, it, it, it took a while, but, you know, what a what a trajectory his career was, is. I mean, you, you, you turn down teams. You're basically a poster child for what this game can do to you when you when you hang up the skates. It's it's got it all. It's your it's your real popcorn summer movie. So. Uh, so they're gonna the Philadelphia is gonna raise it up, and um, it's kind of strange because you know a, a lot of players from that era, at least in my opinion, he, he represents a very specific period of of the NHL where like a, at least in my opinion, the the star power was as evenly distributed amongst the league as possible at that point, right? Because like you still had Gretzky, but pretty much every region had five or six stars that were actually legitimate stars and. And I would count Lindros as one of them, and and it's I mean I even use him still on on Hockey Ultimate Team online. He's he's a big dude. He's a big mofo, and he was able to <laughs> throw his weight around. And I mean we all know the the story of the draft, and that's you've already written yourself into the history books with that type of thing. So you know I mean congrats to him. I mean what are, what are your thoughts on on Lindros getting getting something ahead of of what so many people seek? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Lindros. I'm trying to think of another another NHL player, at least of like this era, like kind of like the more modern era. Yeah. Um, and of course, I define the modern era as the era in which I remember things happening. <laughs> so, so it, it is a little bit um, a little bit biased here. It's it's not really a, a a stark historical definition. My earliest recollection of Eric Lindros is something that. Some people might relate to, and other people might might wonder about my sanity. When I was younger, my dad and my brother and I would uh, we we collected hockey cards, and it was it was like a bonding experience for us. Um, my dad was you know the person that got us both into hockey, and it's something that we could do together to you know kind of share our love of the sport. Also, we thought that we would be rich eventually. Because of, you know, because we weren't stupid. We weren't taking these cards and putting them in our bicycle spokes or flicking them at each other or um, sullying them with gum 
or anything like that. We were we were putting these in mint condition into plastic and metal and sometimes safety deposit boxes to make sure that our investment was protected. But anyway, if you don't remember this, there was an Eric Lindros rookie card, and I believe this was it, it wasn't Upper Deck. Upper Deck was the big the big boys at the time, but I believe it was Score, the Score brand of hockey cards. I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and you could get if you if you were were lucky enough to get an Eric Lindros rookie card, you could trade that in for an entire box of cards, and hopefully get. Another Eric Lindros, and basically it was it was kind of like a Ponzi scheme. It was kind of like a pyramid scheme, where you know as long as you got one in the box, which typically you did, then you could continue to play this, and you know out uh, for the foreseeable future, perhaps even until the end of time. And now I think those those cards are worth maybe a quarter. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, they, they did not hold up very well is what I'm trying to say yeah. um, because many people had the same idea about hockey cards. But so he was, from what I remember, he was a, he was like a larger than life figure in that it was kind of like before, before Sidney Crosby was in the NHL, people knew who Sidney Crosby was. Before Connor McDavid was in the NHL, people knew who he was. I'm not saying he's the first one ever, but he's the first one I remember where we I knew who he was before he ever played an NHL game. And like you said, part of it was um, I believe he refused to play for the junior team. He, you know, he, he forced a trade, or, you know, something with juniors where he he um, re- either refused to play or forced a trade or something like that. Um, and then obviously we all know what happened at the draft, you know, where he refused to refused to play for Quebec. Um, ended up working out pretty well for uh, for Quebec. They uh, they got a Stanley Cup out of it by getting. I remember. Let's see. Peter Forsberg was the the centerpiece. You know, so yeah, it ended which, up working out. Which, yeah. in light of the recent uh, stuff that Puck Daddy's been doing about NHL alternate histories, I mean, hmm. like what what kind of team would the Flyers have been had they gotten had they held on to that that era's that era Forsberg? I I don't know. I but they're just two completely different skill sets, I think, right? Because, like, I feel like Forsberg was, like, physical but had, like, a bunch of finesse and was just just filthy, and I hate him to this day, mm-hmm. whereas, like, Lindros was just, like – he, to me, was, like – like, when people talk to me about what a power forward is or what they want, Eric mm-hmm. Lindros is the first guy that pops into my head. Like, when you hear the word power forward, it's like this guy can handle the puck very well while he is running through you. Like, you are right. a crash test dummy, and he will hit you, and your arms and your legs and your head will pop off like the toys from back in the day, and mm. he'll just he'll just completely and utterly destroy you. So, yeah, he's – it's – there's something about mm. his ability to, you know, just utterly decimate you. And then Forsberg wasn't really that. So, like, what does – what does the, the Flyers team that goes on to face the Red Wings in the 96 Cup Finals – look like if it's if instead of a trying to be like a poor reboot of the the broad street bully it's like what if they were just a complete puck possession team in the vein of Vorsberg? there's a lot of what ifs here but mm. again we're in this timeline mm. we're not <laughs> we're not looking through the looking glass just yet we're dealing with the events that happened in our current chronology so yeah and i think just just to go back to what you said before you were talking about how you know it was a different era in terms of the the amount of star power. So uh, I pulled up the 1995 All Star rosters. 
Um, just to just to kind of you know for for if we have listeners who weren't either weren't alive or you know didn't remember this portion of of hockey history, so here are some of the names and here are some of the names from these All Star rosters from 1995: um, Ed Belfort, uh, Chris Chelios, Paul Coffey, Sergei Fedorov, Theo Fleury, Peter Forsberg, Mike Gartner, Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hull, Paul Correa, Nick Lidstrom, Al McGinnis, Alex Mogilny, Larry Murphy, Owen Nolan. Um, Joe Sackick, Timu Solani, Matt Sundin, and that's just the Western Conference. <laughs> if you go to the Eastern Conference, we add people like Alfredson, Peter Bondra, Ray Bork, uh, Brodeur, uh, let's see, Dominic Hasek, Yeremir Yager. Um, I believe he was only 42 then. Uh, John yeah. LeClaire. <laughs> John LeClaire, you know, Brian Leach. liberated China at that, at that time. <laughs> Mario Lemieux, Eric Lindros, Mark Messier, Cam Neely, Brendan Shanahan, Scott Stevens, Pierre Turgeon. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, just that level of talent. And the, the, to, pre- to prepare for this, I, I went back and I read some articles on Lindros because, you know, I, I remember watching him play when I was younger. And I remember, like you were saying before, he was, you know, he was kind of one of those bad boys in terms of he would finish every check, uh, a lot of his checks – or at least some of his checks were borderline, either borderline dirty or, you know, over the line dirty. Um, you know, so he was in, he would intimidate, intimidate you that way. But on top of that, he was lightning fast. I mean, obviously not like a beret or something like that, but he was fast. He was really fast for a player his size, and he could handle the puck, you know. Um, so I'm not saying his, his offensive skills were, like, on the level of Connor McDavid, but – if you kind of take that level of being able to, to go fast with the puck, not as fast and not as fancy as Connor, but then if you added on the ability to hit like a freight train, you know, he could just dominate, just dominate shifts. Almost kind of like in present day, I, I kind of think of like when Malkin gets a B in his bonnet. You know, because, you know, Malkin's not going to do, like, that devastating hit, but he's so strong. He's so big and so strong. Like, when he decides, me wants puck, me score goal, you know, he can just hold the puck for, like, 40 seconds himself and just make something happen out of nothing. Um, and so, you know, when Lindros was at the top of his game, you know, he w- he was that. Um, I think the other thing, and this, this kind of goes back to last episode, we were talking about our – you know, the team we wanted to play with uh, in NHL, you know, a lot of my players were players that had their careers cut short. And, you know, Lindros lived by the sword and he died by the sword. Um, you know, his career was pretty much eventually ended, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, by uh, Scott Stevens on a hit that nowadays would be incredibly illegal. And <laughs> Like, we can't, we can't emphasize enough. Like the tone and what you say, incredibly illegal. Like, like breathtakingly. Like, to see the stuff that happened back in the day, good lord. Like, yeah, we were like, right. oh yeah, that's great. But now, when you're mm. looking at it through a different lens, you're like, man, I've yeah. now, oh, oh, oh god, <laughs> to like turn the, 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 the turn off the cameras, jeez. Like, I mean, if that hit had happened today, the Department of Player Safety would write probably the strongest worded letter they have ever written. Um, they probably wouldn't suspend him, but they would they would really, really yeah. shake their finger very, very threateningly in the video announcing why they were not going to suspend car, him. Car, carpal tunnel inducing finger wag, but yeah. that's really the extent. So, you know, here we have Eric Lindros's number being retired. You know, recently he was added to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I remember at the time there was, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. 
um, because it used to be, you know, th- you know, there's there's not really any hard and fast rules for NHL Hockey Hall of Fame induction, but you know, it used to be something like, you know, you, you know, you have to play this many games. You know, you have to, you know, either have a ton of individual stuff, or you have to have like, you know, Stanley Cup rings coming out your ears, or you know, like like there there's like different caveats for or different kind of levels for entry to to the Hall of Fame. And if you look at Lindros, especially when he was with the Flyers, you know, because he played with Toronto. Uh, Dallas and the, the Rangers, I think those are their teams. And but I mean, it wasn't anywhere close to when he played with the Flyers. You know, he was like a point and a half per game, I think. And then, yes, people were scoring more then. But you know, I mean, if 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 he had been able to play longer, you know, he would have put up some some absolutely tremendous numbers. But at the same time, he didn't. You know, he he didn't. You know, if you look at him compared to other Hall of Fame players, you know, he doesn't have as many points. He doesn't have as many goals. I don't know. I always thought that that was a pretty interesting conversation you know somebody like him who was obviously like one of the like the most dominant players of an era you know does he get in even though he doesn't have the number so so like what do you think do you think he deserved to be in the hall of fame this is always a sticking point for me uh, a bunch and this isn't just just hockey it just something about my belief in what the hall of fame means it's like you have to have some sort of sterling accolade because it's not just like the Hall of eventually everybody gets in. It's the mm. Hall of Fame. And, I, I, I mean, in terms of his what he represents to hockey and, and, and how he was, like, so close for so many times, I'm going to say, yeah he, yeah, he deserved to get in there. I'm, I mean, he's, 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 a good, he's a good Canadian boy, and, and, <laughs> and hockey is Canada's sport, and... You know, I, I'm not trying to say that just because he's Canadian, that's the reason why he got in. But, like, when you have a, a, a very large contingent of the hockey fan base behind you, and I, I think for the most part they were. I mean, you know, again, he's – again, for, for a guy as dominant to befall basically some of the re- most ridiculous things to happen in a player's career, right? Like, some people are like, mm-hmm. man – I, you know, some people are like, yeah, I got drafted. I played for 20 years. I won two cups and I'm fine. You look at Lindros, you're like, yeah, I got drafted, refused to play for the team that drafted me, forced the trade, uh, went to the cup finals, uh, went to a couple of Olympics and tried to, tried to do the best I could. And, and, and he was just a, a constant lightning rod for criticism and then as meteoric as my rise to have it just be so exclamation point stunted ended due to Scott Stevens. I mean, you, you, you almost, again, you, you can't help but wonder what might have been. And, you know, we can have our giant concussion mm. discussion later. I think there's I think there's far more evidence supporting that this is a thing rather than not. And and again, he's not the only one we've talked about it before. We've talked about Korea. And just there's there's just something about the Lindros thing that's just you're like, yeah, he did enough and he got in. But like you wish it could have gone different, (laughs) right? Like I I wish it would have gone a little bit differently. Like I would have liked to have seen him uh, have some sort of uh, like 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 imagine if he won like the Hart Trophy like eight years in a row or something. Right. Or like run it eight times out of out of 12 or something just like. It's just really tough. I think, you know, for as much of a power forward working man that he is, I, I know he is kind of lacking in some certain areas, but 
I think it's like a journey through the fire type thing because he affected the game. He affected how how people condone themselves. I mean, he made the Flyers relevant still, so that's that's something. And yeah, I I, I think I think he deserves to get in. What well, do you do you believe? Do you agree? Um, like this is definitely a hard one for me. Mm. Um, but I do I do feel like that there is there is a place for players like him who like i said were i don't know like i don't think i would call him like a generational player in the same way i would call like crosby yeah. or mcdavid because i think like in order for me to just my personal opinion that like i would use that label on somebody you know who basically you know changes a generation for for a long time now obviously mcdavid is still young so we have to wait and see but i mean i think you can say you know crosby is basically you know, the great player of his time. And I think that you could make the argument that Lindros was, um, because even on some of those teams, like uh, like the Canada Cup teams that he played on, you know, if you look at some of the names on there and you read some of these articles about, you know, the, the feeling in the locker room, you know, those were his teams. You know, you look around and he, on a team with Gretzky, it was Lindros's team. Now, obviously, that's not saying that Gretzky isn't, you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, the greatest or top two or three. I mean, I, I think he's the greatest, but, you know, the greatest player of all time. But, you know, at that point, like, even though with, with as, as great as Gretzky was and as well-known as he was and, like, kind of like the iconic figure, like, Lindros was the guy, you know. And I think that you – for me, I would make the argument that he was – that dominant for long enough to get in. I could understand, yeah. like, if somebody, if somebody wants to argue against that, like, I don't think, like, they're dumb or they're, you know, like, like, I, like, I don't think it's, like, a bad point to make against it. I just think that, for me, I would, I would lean that way. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. I would definitely agree. I think he was, I think he was good enough for the right amount of time at the right time to establish himself as, to be mentioned in the same breath as his contemporaries, right? As Yager, yeah. as Mario, as as Stevie, yeah. as Brett, as Pronger. Just you're right. I think it's mm. uh, and like good for him too, right? Like mm. at, yeah. after all the things he's brought, it's like at least he got at least he got <laughs> such a bad thing to say. At least he got his shots in, right? Mm. Like yeah, this is a guy that has some like highly questionable hits to his own record too, not just the hits that he received, but the hits that he gave. I mean, yeah. ha hashtag Dekel. Um, hmm. So yeah, there's some, um, I think, I think he hit the nail right on the head there. He, he is, he was exactly as good as he needed to be at the time. I'm not saying we forgive the fact that he basically opened a man's head up and emptied at least half a pint of blood on the ice, but hmm. <laughs> like, congratulations for, being a a driving force in an already uh, like in fifty years when they write the the book on like you know the late nine the late eighties through the the early aughts right like what that twelve year what the decade of the nineties was I mean it's it's redonkulous and yeah. and Lindros certainly is a fixture to why that is such a memorable and and straightforward part of of hockey history at that time and yeah 88 up in the rafters why not <laughs> yeah all right so speaking of uh speaking of the opposite this is going to be an anti-segue the yep. opposite 
of somebody who had a long and illustrious career. Um, we're gonna we're gonna quickly quickly mention somebody who had the exact opposite, which is a very long, slightly less illustrious career, um, especially near the end. Um, if you if you haven't heard the um, Arizona Coyotes longtime player. Uh, Shane Doan has retired, and we thought that we should at least mention a little bit, you know, so we are going to, you know, do a quick remembrance of, of the Coyotes' captain. Uh, dearly beloved, thank you all for gathering here today at uh, precisely 11.35 Pacific Standard Time. Shane Doan's career succumbed to acute retirement. He, uh, he was surrounded by family and friends. And um, when I think of Shane Doan, um, uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, when, when the Red Wings were playing him in a seven-game series, he scored a goal, and he had this, like, scream face that to this day haunts me, to this <laughs> day. And I, I, I often thought about taking the video of that clip and maybe throwing in the T-Rex roar. <laughs> as the sound that comes out of his mouth, maybe like the sound of a little kid going like, ah! or like maybe like a Peter Griffin, like, Hey, <laughs> but the face is frightening. And, and, and I think that when I think of Shane Doan, I think of a man who has been the face of a franchise for as long as it's existence and was just as much a reason to keep it alive, and then it's just as much a reason to just tear it all down. <laughs> so, um, Peter, your your thoughts? I don't really have too many thoughts on Shane Doan. So I will, um, rather than giving him a lengthy eulogy in his honor, I will simply throw my equipment at, at officials and I will scream at people in the next handshake line that I am involved in. So, um, fairly well, Shane Doan's career. Um, unfortunately, his career had to be cremated because we were unable to close the coffin because his elbows were just, they were just stuck up. Like he, his elbows would not come down. So we could not get the coffin closed. So we just had to throw the whole thing in the crematorium. Okay, so earlier this year, the NHL and NHLPA competition committees met and they proposed two new rule changes for the 2017-18 season. Now, we were going to talk about this on an earlier show, um, but we put it off a little bit, mainly because the two rule changes were so boring and don't really seem to, seem to matter. So we didn't really want to have a big discussion about them, but we came up with a way to make it interesting. Just really quickly, the two rule changes that were agreed upon, or I guess I should say suggested, were basically one is that no timeout shall be granted following an icing for the team that committed the icing infraction. Okay. The other one is that the committee recommends a change so that when a team has a power play and its player on the team at full strength causes a stoppage of the play as a result of striking the puck with a high stick in the offensive zone, the resulting faceoff shall be made in the neutral zone at the nearest faceoff spot. Now, Jay, I don't know about you, but I this has been killing me for years. I've been screaming at my television about how unfair it is that the face-off does not go into the neutral zone at the nearest face-off spot. It's been driving me crazy. How about you? Can we have a rule change about how the F these rule changes are worded? I felt like I lost years <laughs> of my life trying to figure yeah. out the 
tense and the verbs that they use to like hmm. just say, hey, if you hit it with a stick on a power play, you can't do it in the in the zone anymore. You have to do it outside. <laughs> Why is that so hard to just put in the like thou thou shalt sh- strike the vulcanized rubber? <laughs> In the zone with which they are attacking with the extra man on their power play. Mm. Like, I don't... It's the, par- <laughs> it's the, it's the party of the first part. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the pestle... The, the poison... Is, the, the pellet is in the pestle with the vessel, but the is the brew that is true. Like, mm. like just say yeah. it straight up like normal people. Okay. Mm. Um, and again... Uh, and the d- number of thy counting shall be three. <laughs> Exactly. That is, of course, the classic reference here that everybody has been screaming at their their, their podcast device for us to make. Um, so we didn't want to disappoint you. So what we've done, what we, we've decided to make this a little bit more interesting in our classic for sure method. Even though it's episode five, we do have some classics by now. Um, and so our classic is our our fun list where we go back and forth and we um, we decide what changes we would make. So what we decided to do is to come up with three three rule changes each. Now, this could be adding something, this could be taking something away, or it could be a combination of both. So we've come up with three different rule changes, and let's see what you think about them. I think that they would make the game a lot better. So, Jay, what's your first rule change? Uh, this has been a no-brainer since forever. I am removing the trapezoid. It is, it, mm-hmm. it is a fallacy. It is a farce. I think with the um, advances in no-touch icing and in other areas, the trapezoid has now, in my opinion, become obsolete. And I think that there are way more offensive chances that happen by the goalie trying to handle the puck than making the goalie stay home and trying to win a foot race with a guy by the way, you're on skates and you're on ice and you're going around 30 miles an hour and some 200-pound gorilla is skating with you and he will merge you and the boards <laughs> at a microscopic level with the force that he's going to hit you with by just trying to win the foot race here. I think, I think, the, tra- sure. I think the trapezoid was neat in theory because you want to eliminate those hits, but look what it did. It increased those hits. So why wouldn't you just... <laughs> immediately admit you screwed up and get rid of it. But no, no, we're talking about the NHL here. They have their pride to look after. Everything they do must be infallible. It's like the portal of plenary indulgence and dogma. <laughs> you can't prove God wrong, because if you do, Armageddon. So <laughs> that's why they still have the trapezoid, and I want to get rid of it. Pete, what's yours? Yeah, I think, I, I, just yeah. real quick, I think the only the only positive thing about the trapezoid is that it's, helped young school children know what a trapezoid was. So when they got to geometry, they're like, oh, it's that dumb thing in the NHL, right? Now, the the other thing, just real quickly, is that I I think that the NHL missed an opportunity here. I think that rather than, than having this trapezoid rule, I think, you know, they could have had, you know, the same the same area and they could have just painted it red and then just basically say the floor is lava. The floor is lava. You can't go in there. You will die. Still pretty stupid, but not quite as stupid as the trapezoid. Um, okay, so my first one, my first one is this is not original, but this is a, this is an idea that has been floating around that I I think would be interesting to at least try, and it would hopefully I, I think it would be nice to to 
come up with some rule changes that might increase scoring. Like you said, the trapezoid, you know, the pl- the goalies playing the puck can increase scoring chances, which is what we want to see. So I think that we should do full two-minute penalties. So basically, um, you could call it a two-minute major, you know, think about it that way. So if your team takes a two-minute penalty, this, you know, same as always, same infractions are two minutes, same infractions are five minutes. If your team takes a two-minute penalty, the other team scores, you still have to kill off the rest of the penalty. I think that could improve scoring, increase scoring. I, I, I think that could get, make the game a little bit more interesting, a little bit higher scoring. Um, I think that could be a good change. And what's funny, Pete, is that your rule change isn't actually a rule change. It's actually a rule revival. Because back in, in the, like I think it was like between at least the 30s and the 60s, they did exactly that. <laughs> the power plays were full two-minute things, and then they stopped. Yeah. Do you want to know why they stopped, Pete? Uh, sure. The Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> okay. They, they were. Uh, th- this is a. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. The Montreal Canadiens are really good at hockey. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know what best way to to start to describe that to you is, but there might be something about the whole they've got 24 Stanley Cups and and they like again they are they are the Yankees of hockey. They engineered it such that young talent was always funneled to them, or they strong armed people to get the. This is all. This is all reasonably true, and which meant that they had Goliath teams. We're talking all those teams with Belleville and Richard, like. These are the teams by which we judge all others. So you can imagine if you have a, a, a big Canadian machine like that given two minutes of unfettered power play, the scores <laughs> would be rather lopsided. So the league decided to, in the wake of the Canadians basically having their way with a team, if they ever got on a power play, they decided to change it to uh, once you score the goal, the power play's over. So... I think we are safely out of the woods, at least for now, of having a team that is at anywhere near the dynastic level that uh, mm-hmm. that the Canadians are were. So I think we can I think we can stretch our legs a little bit and get a little bit more excited because now you'll have because let's say you're on a power play, it's the third period, and you're down four to one. If you want to tie mm-hmm. it with a full two minute power play, and you're able to continue to score, I mean that game could turn around real quick. That's that's basically like a, a new age version of free throws. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you foul them and then you get your shots and then it's all of a sudden a close game. So I really like yeah. your rule change. I kind of like yours more than mine. Oh, well, that's okay. You got a, you got another chance with the second one. So what do you got <laughs> for the second one? Uh, I am really excited to, to, to talk about this one because I feel like this is another no-brainer. Uh, you can no longer call embellishment and the offending infraction. Like like too many times you see a guy folded up in the corner, right? And the ref has his arm up like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's two for embellishment. And then he also then points his hand and like, yeah, you go too because you put him in that situation. I, have, I am livid with that all of the time. Because how are you, like, I, I, it just seems so dumb and cerebral to try and assume, like, Okay, so if I'm, like, sort of committing a penalty on somebody, like, how am I supposed to, like, like think at a different level? Like, oh, if I only hold him up a little bit, then then it'll be fine. But then, oh, I'm called for tripping. Oh, that then that should be it, right? 
Whereas, like, you're kind of assuming that on the player who is doing said embellishing is like, oh, I'm getting tripped. Well, I don't know if the ref's gonna gonna see it. Maybe I ought to put some mustard on it, right? Like, it's there's too many variables and it's too dumb. It's it's oh, it, and again, we are living in the age of false equivalencies. This is a false equivalency. Embellishing mm. is not as bad as tripping in the in the purest hockey competition sense. So I've now mm. made it illegal uh, to, to take a, or. A, See, what's weird is I don't know if I'm taking anything out. Maybe this is an addition. I'm adding a rule that says you can call embellishment and you can call tripping, but you can't call them at the same time. If, if, you're, yeah. if you're calling the trip, just straight up call the trip. If you're calling embellishment, you're taking the guy that decided to, to take some acting classes, and, mm. and, and, that, and that should be the, the long and short of it. Mm. I, think, I think if you will, please, please uh, like, allow me to, to make a, a, a brief amendment to your rule. Oh, boy. Because I, I I really I really like the rule I really I I I definitely agree with you on it, um, but I think we need a little bit more a little bit more flair here to to make this change for the 21st century. Sure. So I propose that we in that we change the name of the embellishment penalty to the Sean Avery Memorial Penalty. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, just in case, judging by your laughter, <laughs> I am pretty sure you know to what event I am referring. So. I will put this up on our Twitter. If you have not seen this, uh, first of all, go to our Twitter, which is 200FootPod, 200FTPOD. Got to get that brand name in. Mm-hmm. Um, so go there, watch this video. If for some reason you've already you know, liked us and whatever, then just Google this. The night Yaramir Yager almost killed Sean Avery. It is the greatest embellishment penalty ever, um, or the greatest embellishment infraction ever. Uh, Yaramir Yager basically breathes on Sean Avery, and he plants both his feet and jumps in a way that would make Greg Louganis stand and applaud. So if you have not seen this, you have to see it. So anyway, um, so my second, my second rule is... I'm sorry, I'm watching it right now. I'm watching it right now. I'm sorry, everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> And you watch his head like shake too, like. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh. like if you haven't seen it in a while, you think that like the first foot he puts down is going to be the foot that he plants off of, but oh no, he then takes another step so he can get better traction, so he can get a, a better leap. Um, and then, and then, yeah, he. I mean, it is a picture perfect dive, much, uh, much akin to. Um, the young boy in What About Bob eventually oh, mm. learns to dive very well. Yep. So anyway, um, Sorry, yeah, my second... Yeah, back to what you were saying. Yeah, yeah no, it's okay. Okay, so my second rule change, um, I grew up loving big hits. I grew up loving fighting in the game just on that visceral level. I think the more the, more the time goes on, the more studies we see, as much as, you know, I am a, a, a you know, like I said, somebody who grew up in the era of or maybe not the era of, you know, at a time where there was a ton of fighting in the NHL. I, I, I really think that we have to do something to at least severely curb the amount of fighting that happens. And so my, my second rule change would be if there's a clean hit. And so what I mean by that, big hit, right, or any type of hit, you look over, the referee does not have his hand up, right, or neither referee has their hand up, you decide – I'm going to start a fight anyway, you are ejected from the game. All right, so if you instigate a fight, 
following a clean hit, then you are automatically ejected. I think that might cut down on some of these big hits, but they're still clean. And then now we have to have a fight. And I think that's one one type of fighting that I think we could get rid of without really losing too much. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good addition. Plus, it will make guys have a little bit more critical thinking. I know that could be an oxymoronic statement at times, but mm-hmm. I think when you look at because often guys people will look at the result, right? And then you also have to think about the guy that gets hit, and he's like, oh, he gingerly gets up, which signals to his teammates, hey, I got hit pretty bad. To which the teammates have to go, mm-hmm. hey, he got hit pretty bad. We need to go get some revenge. Right? Like, mm-hmm. if, if the guy gets hit and he's legitimately down, like, hey, if you see the hit happen, right, like, and you go to, like, defend him, okay, then, yeah, let's let's get into it. But, like, if you get hit and, and nothing's done, then then it's part of the game, bro. All in the game, yo. Yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was an incident last year where a player got nailed behind the, behind the goal, and people came in and they had like two or three fights and they were literally almost stepping on the player that was down on the ice. Yes. You know, yes. so one, one, I mean, I understand the Cronwall Havlat hit where Cronwall completely destroys him. And Havlat is, I would say comatose and everyone starts going in and, and beating up on, on Cronwall. And you can already hear the announcer say, someone's got to get him out of there. Cause someone's going to step on it. Like, his neck is exposed, yeah. his wrist is exposed. Like, one of his gloves flew off, I think, which is, like, the hockey yeah. equivalent of someone getting hit and their shoe flying off. Like, it was – this stuff's vicious. So, like, let's – And I mean, that. like, you know – yeah, and I mean, like, at the same time, like, like I do – I do want to just point out that I do understand the reason that people do this. You know, You know, just on a visceral level, you see your teammate get hurt you think that there's a chance that it was a dirty play, you want to go in there and defend them. I mean, like, if you just think about it, like, as a fan, if we see one of our players get laid out, you know, it kind of, like, increases our adrenaline level. You know, we kind of have that adrenaline rush as fans. You know, it's 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 got to be, obviously, exponentially more for the players. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, you gotta you got to think about it, you know, intellectually. you got to think about it logistically that – you know, somebody's somebody's going to get hurt really badly in one of those situations, and I think that's one way that we can get, you know, we can cut down on the, the potential for that to happen. So that's my second one, Jay. So what's your third one? I am officially decreeing that we shall no longer be threatened with or uh, uh, even remotely uh, scared of the possibility of ties or shootouts ever again, I am now instituting infinite three-on-three overtime. Listen, you've already paid the money. You've already got nothing else to do that night. Yeah, it's 10 o'clock, but what are you going to do? You're going to watch three-on-three hockey until someone has a W in two points. And I, I, I see too many people arguing about this, going back and forth, da da, da. Listen, it's a, like, hockey does not have the international respect level to be able to pass ties as a thing. they I think they have to go like maybe 100 years without a work stoppage or inept management in order to allow ties back into the ecosystem. Ties, so basically never. So basically never, yeah. So I'm, I am 100% on board with, with, the, with the prospect and the, and, the, and the rule change that I'm making here because uh, if you're going to make speed – part of the game then make speed what kills you make speed what wins the game 
So you've got three on three. This isn't like the, the, the playoffs where it's, you know, a continuous OT. We're five on five. Yeah, because you can pretty much match yourself five on five because the ice is only so big. But if you do infinite three on three, someone's going to win a lot quicker than five on five. So, and again, this is only for the regular season. I still think in postseason play, you should still stick with the five on five continuous OT. Every man must win. But again, this, I think this is a good middle ground between I'd like to see somebody win this game, and I have to wake up tomorrow. So, sure, that's that's why. That's I mean, why. I mean, you know, you know what they say. You know, you play the game of hockey, you win or you die. <laughs> and so, in this case, in this case, I mean, losing is preferable to dying. I think so. I think this is an easy sell. I think we can definitely do this. Um, my 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 third rule change is somewhat related uh, to the 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 idea of three on three. But it is not it is not for the regular season because as you would see this would um, there, there there's absolutely no chance that this would make its way past the um, the vanguard of the NHL the people who must protect the tradition of the NHL and by the tradition of the NHL we mean making sure that people think that Jonathan Taves is one of the greatest hundred players of all time over Evgeny Malkin uh, sorry that still sticks in my <laughs> Anyway, so my rule change is actually inspired by the NHL hockey game that we have been discussing. Uh, I think um, I am I am subconsciously trying to talk about it every episode so that maybe EA Sports will sponsor yeah. us. So, like we said before, the NHL uh, the new NHL game has the threes mode, so it's three on three. And in addition to that, they also have this idea of like a multiplier puck. So, um, for example. If you score with the regular puck, then you get one point. And every so often, you play with a puck that, that is worth two goals or three goals. Um, or it could even be uh, there's there's a negative one puck and a negative two puck. So, like, if I'm playing Jay and it's 6-6 six, six and I score with a negative two puck, I have seven and he goes down to four because he loses two. So plus one down two. I think that would be pretty fun for the All-Star game. I think that the NHL could could get some fan involvement here. They could run some contests to design the, the look of these pucks. They could do some, like a puck design contest, which is definitely better than uh, naming a puck contest, which would inevitably end up with Pucky McPuckface. So <laughs> I think I think it would be a lot of fun for the All-Star game. Like I said, definitely, I mean, all joking aside, definitely not an idea for actual play, regular season, postseason, etc., for what I imagine to be obvious reasons, but I think that would be a lot of fun for the All Star Game. I think that could, uh, I think that could spice things up, make it make it a little more interesting uh, for players. You can only bring John Scott back so many times. <laughs> so, very true, very true. Okay, so um, send us uh, send us your tweets, send us your uh, your comments, and let us know what you think about rule changes. Do you like some of ours? Do you think that we're really off base? Do you think that you can do better? First of all, you can't, but if you're deluded enough to think you can, then send those thoughts our way. Well, it's time for another uh, Emmy Award-winning segment of ours. It's interviewing important hockey people. Our next guest is Alan. No last name. Uh, he is basically the Internet's prince. No, no last name or anything like that. He's just Alan. But his Twitter account is at LoserPoints, which I am a huge fan of. Uh, he does league-wide analysis and data visualization for hockey graphs. And he has the uh, unenviable task of uh, focusing on the lightning at raw charge. Alan, welcome aboard. 
Thanks, guys. I don't know if I uh, qualify as important, uh, but I'll do my I'll do my best to justify that intro. <laughs> well, you know, we we are but a humble podcast, so anybody that chooses to come on here is very important. So we treat we treat everyone with the sterling reputation that we hope that they have. Question mark. Anyways, Pete, <laughs> um, what what do we got on deck for Alan here? Yeah, I, I think uh, let's just start off with some basic stuff. So. Um, how did you become a hockey fan and or a lightning fan if it was like a different different journey for either one? So I've been a hockey fan for, for most of my life. I was born in New Jersey. Um, so my early hockey memories are like Devils, Rangers, um, that kind of era, like early 90s. Um, that was those, that's like my first kind of just starting to watch the games and stuff. I, I moved around a lot. Um, we eventually kind of settled in in the Tampa area. Um, my fandom kind of went in and out. Like a lot of people, I got uh, really invested during the during the Cup run. Um, we had some really ugly years uh, in the late 2000s, and um, to be honest, I kind of got. Uh, I was kind of like a, a typical kind of casual fan of the sport for a long time. Um, and just a few years ago, it just kind of happened into some uh, some of the analytics work that was going on, and it sort of made intuitive sense to me for some reason um, and just kind of started diving deeper and deeper, and that kind of dovetailed with the, the lightning kind of heading back in the right direction at, at the same time. And so it's just been uh, over the past few years went from being like somebody who just kind of watched the games and watched intermission reports and listened to Mike Milbury and thought that was reasonable to uh, kind of learning a lot more about the sport and like, and, and really how, how the game should work and um, hopefully having a, a much better and more informed perspective than I did, you know, maybe four or five years ago. Yeah. We always have our first, our, like our entry level years of being forced to listen to those personalities. It's, it's like uh, it, we like to call it our Taylor Hall and Edmonton years. <laughs> we usually kind of just put it put in our time, and then and then we move on to bigger and better things. Um, uh, Alan, I wanted to ask you. Uh, so, as a, as a you know, it, Pete, this is like the JJ question, right? So, I think we're now going to yeah. adopt this as the for sure question, and JJ will no longer have credit. Um, how does being the uh, data visualization uh, how has that affected the way you actually watch the sport? Do you like the sport more? Do you like the sport less? Has it changed how you view it? Kind of like when I'm able to watch Star Wars movies and like, yeah, I can objectively say they're bad and know that they're bad, but also still have a good time watching them. So, like, is hockey the same for you or is it is it different since you became a fan? So diving more into the analytics side of things, like I still I, – I actually I think it's really, for me – for my for the fun of it for me it's important for me to retain my fandom and I know some people kind of go away from that um I am still an unabashed homer um you know I'm a, I'm a lightning fan first and I sort of follow the rest of the league second um and I think that's kind of the way I'll I'll continue to approach it uh but just understanding the you know what drives success for a team I don't think takes any of the fun out of it for me I think um you know, maybe sometimes it removes some of the mystique and some of the mystery if you can look at things and say, well, that's definitely not sustainable. Um, you know, <laughs> like that, you know, you, there, there's no there's no more of that sort of like 
believing that something like magical is happening with the interaction of the personalities on the team that's going to make a bunch of bad players be good. Um, that that stuff is kind of gone. But um, I like I, I tracked games for the passing project um, really heavily for a year. I tracked almost an entire season for the Lightning, and and doing that kind of stuff just just really opens your eyes to a different way to watch the game. You, you take in more information um, with every kind of minute that you watch. You, you watch for different things. You watch for um, the way plays are setting up. You watch for the, the way players are positioning themselves, um, you know, what, what they're trying to create offensively, um, what they're trying to stifle defensively and things like that. So for me, it's been, it's been really cool and it's, it's made me a better, smarter fan. And um, I still love yelling about, uh, goals on Twitter, but hopefully I, I have some other things um, that I can maybe add to the conversation that that not everybody is watching for. Yeah, um, we we had a really good mailbag question from EH41. I think that's uh, a a commenter that's been been commenting a lot on our on our podcast since we started. So obviously we want to encourage that. So I, I thought this is a really good question. Um, so basically, uh, what he or she says is. Uh, Analytics is the subject. You know, I need to understand it better. And the basic idea is, like, say you are, you know, just starting out. You you want to learn more. Um, there's so, you know, like, obviously, if you just dove into hockey graphs and started reading your, you know, at least most of the articles, you're going to be very confused and uh, trying to figure out, you know, what all this stuff means. So if you were if you were somebody just starting off, like, what would your recommendations be for either, you know, websites or um, something like that that could help somebody, you know, get a good fundamental level? So we have a new resource in the community. Um, this is, like, the perfect time for this question, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with it because it's one of your um, winging in Motown yeah, uh, current writers, or I don't know if he's still there, if he's an alumni at this point. Um, but Prashant has has worked with actually somebody from our fan base, Mike Gallimore, um, to to build MetaHockey.com, and there's a it has it's a collection of almost every analytics article um, relating to to hockey. Uh, that in and of itself can be overwhelming, um, but. All the interesting thing there is that all of the articles are tagged um, with general subjects, kind of what they cover, and there's an introductory tag. So, I off the top of my head, I forget exactly what it is, what it is if it's if it's introduction or something along those lines. But if if you um, you know shoot me a question on on Twitter or or I can look it up and share it after exactly what the tag is. But that's the best place to get started. You can go to Meta Hockey. You can start with the introductory articles that that will kind of take you to the foundation of of why we look at um, shot-based metrics, um, you know, why shots are kind of, and all shots, that's not just shots on goal, but shots that um, are blocked or miss the net as well, why that's kind of the foundation um, for all the work that's been done over the last, you know, at this point, getting close to 10 years um, of, of research has gone into it. So if, if you want to start there um, from from the beginning, that, that that's a great place. And then uh, just kind of find the things that interest you and, and read them. And I don't think it's a bad thing to start, you know, further down the line. If you, if you know, somebody posts an article, you know, that sounds interesting, you can read it. Um, if it's a good article, it'll link back to the foundations, um, you know, that, that it's built on. And so you can work back that way. Um, it's also great to just find a couple people whose voice uh, you, you trust on Twitter, um, you know, and, and see what they're saying. I think 
you know, the, the people with big followings, you know, Micah Blake McCurdy and effective math. I think that's a great, that's a great place to start. Um, he, he kind of presents information in, in a way um, that is, that shows you what's important, um, but that is hopefully fairly accessible. Um, and I think an, an important part of that is with a kind voice um, and, and making sure that uh, it feels inclusive and, and welcoming to new people. And that, that that's a great place to start. So, there's there's a ton of, of voices out there. You guys have had some of them on the podca- podcast. Carolyn Wilkie's another one who's who's awesome. Um, so just kind of finding finding that spot, um, that kind of niche. Uh, sometimes it helps to start with a specific team that you could you understand them really really well intuitively. And so looking at the numbers and the concepts will will make more sense. Uh, most most teams have somebody who's kind of analytically oriented who who follows them. So if you can find that voice in your fan base. Um, that can be helpful too. So th- those are all good places to start. But meta hockey is is a gold mine um, if if you're willing to do the reading. Yeah, I was. It's really funny you say that because that's like I actually pulled up that tab because if you hadn't said that, I was gonna I was gonna add that in. So thanks for uh, th- thanks for making me not have to. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and folks, I can confirm the meta hockey is the place to start because ever since I started reading some of that stuff, I see things like Neo sees the Matrix. Everything is code now. <laughs> Yeah. The, the game is much cooler to look at when you're looking at it through the lens of a uh, black computer screen with cascading green uh, hieroglyphic data streams. It's 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 breathtaking. So I'm I'm glad that we can get more people on board with doing that. It's all um, just ones and zeros. Ones and zeros. That's all it is. Um, uh, so Alan, I I mentioned this briefly in your intro. Um, so your name is at Loser Points. Uh, can you like explain why you arrived at such a cool name? And then, um, and then the sub the sub question is: um, Will we ever? Do you think in our lifetime or anyone's lifetime will we be in a situation where we don't have a loser point anymore? So, I'll start with the second. Um, I hope so. It's incredibly stupid. Uh, it's been proven pretty definitively how stupid it is. Yeah. Um, it really it's is one of those. It, it's it's uh it's it drives at this false sense of parity. Um, it makes it so hard to close any kind of gap in the standings. Um, it all it did is distort people's perception of how close the playoff race is because they're still thinking um, in terms of the old point system. Uh, so it sort of looks closer if, if you're used to that for 20 years, um, and then you, and then you add the loser point, all of a sudden everything looks more condensed, but it's really not. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it, it encourages, you know, kind of the worst things in terms of conservative play at the end of games and things. It's just, yeah, there's there's no there's no justification either mathematically or um, in terms of producing enjoyable hockey um, for a loser point. So it's. It's it's terrible and it needs to go away and hopefully it does at, at some point. Um, in terms of my name, uh, I just thought it was you know being uh, you know always amused by terrible puns. Um, it's a terrible pun. Uh, it's a hockey term, but also uh, it's a pretty good name for for somebody uh, who thinks that they're going to make some some pretty bad points about the game of hockey in their in their writing and stuff. So that's that's where I landed. <laughs> That's that's great. I, again, 
That, that's my favorite answer so far. That's my favorite answer so far from, from, our, from our stuff. See, now you're very important, Alan. See, you're living up to the reputation. <laughs> so we have uh, – we don't have too many mailbag questions, but we do have another one that uh, has, has the, uh, the, the glowing green of recommendation from our, from our viewers. So for this one, it's, it's – um, you have to keep one of these players. Now, two of these players are currently on your team. One of them used to be, all right? So let's pretend, like, you know, you have your team, you have these three players, and you have to keep one of them. Now, this question is from Prashanth. Uh, <laughs> so option one, Jake Dotson and all his glory. Uh, that's option one. Option two, Radko Gudis, except he has to use a mini might stick. Or number three, Dan Girardi. He says as advertised, so I'm guessing like current Dan Girardi. Okay, uh, so this is a fairly easy question for me for me to answer. I think Prashanth was trying to trip me up, but the the way he's he's framed it, it's Jake Dotchin, and I and I don't think it's that hard. Although I will say that I think Radko Gudis with a mini might stick might be better than Radko Gudis with a regulation stick because he won't be able to <laughs> shoot every time he touches the puck in the offensive zone, and that's my biggest problem with his game. So I think I would actually prefer that version of Radko Gudis because he's kind of unbearable to watch if you enjoy um, you know, selfless hockey um, and trying to create the best offensive chances possible because he's just a relentless hammer from the blue, blue line, and it's a, it's kind of a really – boring uh, and ineffective style of, of hockey. But uh, I, I would go with Jake Dotchin. Uh I would go with almost anyone over Dan Girardi. Um, he's, <laughs> he's objectively one of the worst players in the league, and I can't really imagine uh, a worse decision uh, than, than signing him, other than signing him to a longer t- deal for more money. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's a – I'm, I'm kind of – I feel like Dachin has has some NHL potential. Um, Girardi doesn't, and and Radko Gudis is aesthetically one of my least favorite players. But if you stop him from shooting the puck, <laughs> it becomes more more palatable to me. Yeah, I think this off season on Twitter, the uh, the immediate unfollow for me, like the unfollow filter, was, "Hey, we should sign Dan Girardi." I was like, "Thank you, <laughs> thank you for telling me. I don't need to know anything else. <laughs> I don't need to to listen to you um, or anything like that." <laughs> yeah, I think um I think DTM about hard on Twitter actually had a a pretty good line one time about how sometimes someone will say something and it kind of changes your your opinion of 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 how much you should value their perspective immediately and that's a that's a pretty solid example of that any, any sort of defense of of Jan, of Dan Girardi as as an NHL player at this, at this point in his career is one of those that makes you kind of wonder what that what that person is is basing that on. Yeah, it's almost kind of like according to Mike Milbury. Or, yeah, <laughs> you know, on on Coach's Corner. Oh yeah. God. So Alan, um, coming up pretty soon is fantasy hockey. I know I just got my uh, my league renewal email um, about you know the season coming up and the drafts and everything. So let's say uh, you know let, let, let's tap your lightning brain for a little bit of advice for our listeners. You know, let's say. Other than the the top names, you know the easy ones, you know your Kucherovs, you know Headmans, etc. Let's say it's a little bit of a deeper league. You're in the later rounds, and you're looking for you're looking for those sleeper picks. All right, so who do you think on the Lightning could be a player like that that might be overlooked or might not be as highly valued, but is going to have a a, a good 2017-18 season? 
I, I think um, probably the top of, uh, is Braden Point. Um, I'm not sure the rest of the league is aware of how good he was, uh, particularly like the last third of the season. Um, depending on, on where he ends up in the lineup, uh, if, if he fills that, that uh, second-line spot on the right wing with Tyler Johnson and Andre Pilat, uh he could put up, a, and his plays a full season, uh, he, he could put up a lot of points. If, if he ends up as the, the third-line center, um, it's going to be you know, pretty dependent on, on who he's playing with in terms of how, how high his ceiling is for next year. But I think that's um, you know, going a little bit deeper. Um, that's a name to look at. If you want to go super deep, uh, if you play in like a crazy league, um, I think, or, or at least a name to keep keep an eye on as as you go into the to the first part of the season um, to watch the waiver wire and stuff. Uh, I think Yanni Gord um, has some potential. I think he's going to make the team out of camp. I think he's going to get regular minutes. Um, he was uh, ridiculous and in, in limited minutes in the spring. Um, so if he gets if he gets a, a you know a permanent chance, I think there's a lot of potential there. I think a lot of people. Um, would probably throw out a name like Vlad Nemestikov. The, the issue there is that um, all the things that he does to add value don't translate to uh, to fantasy performance. Um, he just doesn't score. So I, I, I'm not sure how much I would expect that that to change. But that's I guess another one to keep an eye on, especially if they if they run that uh, Stamkos, Kucherov, Nemestikov uh, top line that they did at the beginning of last year that was so dominant. Um, maybe if he stays in that kind of role, he just picks up you know some points. Just by just by being on on that line and playing with those guys, so I guess those are those are three names that I would look at. Point definitely, um, Gord maybe an eye to keep a guy to keep an eye on as as the season gets started, and Nemesnikov maybe maybe worth a, a gamble depending on his usage next year. Okay, those are all names I will now have to write down and completely be <laughs> all smart at when I do my draft. So Alan, <laughs> thank you very much for that. Um, so sticking with more of uh, your forte, as it were. Um, I've kind of started to develop this a little bit of a side questionnaire here for uh, a few select teams. So um, the Lightning have gone through has gone through a little bit of a metamorphosis in terms of their jerseys, and I and I just wanted to get a boots on the ground uh, reaction. Like, like again, this happened a number of years ago, still. But you know, I got to say, I was still a big fan of the of the '04 era of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, but then they changed it, and now I gotta say, it looks like a team logo that is like one of the generic ones you build when you're building a team on NHL 18. So, do you like your jersey? Do you like like your look? Because I know you have the third alternate, which is the black one where it just says bolts. So, I, I, again, there no one really gives a crap about my opinion. I want to know what your opinion is because you're a Lightning fan. You know what you want. You know what you like. So, so what is your verdict? For me. Um... I don't. I think you kind of hit it. Um, it's just kind of. It's okay. Um, it doesn't. I mean, at least it doesn't like bother me. You know, it's not like aggressively bad um, to the point where I, I don't want to wear it. Um, it. It's it's decent, um, but it, yeah, it, it lacks it lacks creativity. And the thing that bugs me is um, I really wish they would do a cool third. I wish teams would have more fun with their third jerseys. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of room for creativity. Uh, and just the, the all black with the bolts, like it's just it's not it's not great. And they've had some some really cool thirds and some really fun stuff um, at different points with 
um, the lightning bolts and the palm trees and all that kind of stuff. And um, some people probably think that's kind of cheesy, but I think that's that's kind of the fun of, of having a third. And so if they're going to go so kind of conservative and, and you know, um, kind of straightforward with the with the main home away, then, you know, and, and the blue white and, and really simple, um, that it'd be cool, at least if they would mix it up with something fun for the third. Phenomenal. Cool. Phenomenal. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Jay is our resident uh, Jersey Jersey expert slash uh, obsessor about her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna write that up, and that's gonna be the on the um, that's gonna be the plaque that's on the front of my desk. Jer- oh, Jersey over obsessor. <laughs> All right, so Alan, I got um recently in the mail. I I got my yearly my yearly edition of Hockey Abstract, and I was flipping through it. And there's a there's a pretty interesting goalie section in there. And one of the things that uh, Rob Volman, I, I believe Rob Volman was writing the goalie section, but one of the things he was talking about is um, he was looking at home plate save percentage. And he, according to according to this this article that he wrote or this section of the book that he wrote, uh, you know, a few years ago this this showed or you know like Devin uh, Devin Dumick had a you know, very, very good number one uh, home plate save percentage. And so Rob is saying that that could be a predictor of a breakout season because he he then obviously had a had a very good season the following one. And so the number one goalie last year in home plate save percentage is Andre Vasilevsky. All right, so now with Ben Bishop gone, what do you think about Vasilevsky? How, like, how do you think he's going to perform this year? So for when it comes to goalie stuff, um, I defer to the people who know that really well, um, and pretty much all of them say that he has everything that it takes to not be like above average, but to be, you know, a, a top tier elite um, NHL goalie long term. Um, that he has all the skill set that that he he does everything that he needs to do from a from a fundamentals and positioning standpoint um, but also has the athleticism and the flexibility to do the really special things so uh, from that perspective I think I think he's definitely he definitely has the tools to do it um, I think you know the the work that you cited there is generally kind of in line with with what I think most of the goalie community would say which is, is that the most of goalie talent um, and, and the way that you really separate goalies is, is how they, they save the most dangerous shots. Um, most goalies will save a very high percentage of the low danger shots. There, there's very little variation there. Um, so you, you really, that, that, you know, those, those goals that, that have the highest chance of, of going in the net, um, the goalies that can save those are the ones who make a difference um, for the team. An interesting thing with Vasilevsky is um, he has done very well with the higher danger shot, but has sometimes struggled a little bit with the lower danger shots relative to the rest of the league, which has kind of brought um, his ranking down a little bit. So that's kind of an interesting um, intricacy. And, you know, you wonder if that's just, is that just reps? Is that just, you know, focus at that age um, and just kind of understanding the rhythm of the NHL game and, and, and learning to be able to consistently make the simple plays um, and not just kind of rising to the moment when it's time to make the, the, you know, the difficult ones. Um, so I, I don't know that that's kind of like a, a psychological thing, and I try not to dive too much into that stuff. But I, I do think that he has uh, kind of everything that you could want from a goalie prospect. And so we're just going to see over the next year or two, you know, how it how it comes together as as we get a larger sample of him kind of being the being the the unquestioned. You um you cut out uh, right near the end when you're saying like. Uh, being the unquestioned, I'm going to say. I'm guessing you're going to say the unquestioned starter. 
Yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, yeah, he would he would get the – this will be, you know, the first year where he's going to definitely be the number one and, and get the bulk of the workload. I mean, it just stinks because now, that. I mean, he's going to be the number one, and now I have to now I have to figure out how to chant that name in a disapproving way. But, like, <laughs> I mean, he's got the right amount of syllables, so I guess it'll work. But, I mean, I just look at the way his name is spelled, and I just get all caught up. And, and just it's a good it's a good last name and it's and it's big enough to have on the back of a goalie because those jerseys are huge I got a lot of pads under there so he's got the space. Um, so Alan, my my last question and again this is really just kind of a clearing the air type question. Um, I know a lot of people are wondering about it. I know I'm probably the biggest uh, it, it, like inquisitor about this and um, I'm just I'm just trying like just definitively. When is Steve Eisman supposed to pull off the secret deal to trade Stamkos and Kucherov to Detroit for all of our uh, farm systems uh, plus, like, uh, unlimited pizza forever? This is a rumor I'm sure you've heard a billion times, and you being the close to the situation, I figured you could give me some solid confirmation here that this that's the whole reason you that's the whole reason he agreed to sign with you guys is that he could gain your trust, gain your respect, gain your your friendship, and then – and then he was going to pull like a giant fleecing on you guys. So can you confirm or deny that that is in the works? Uh, yeah, I can. I can definitely deny that um, <laughs> definitively. Oh, um, damn it, Pete! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's it's a really interesting dynamic uh, having uh, somebody from like a storied franchise in an original six city. Uh, kind of running the team in Tampa because there is definitely a, a real and palpable insecurity um, in the fan base about that. And every time, you know, anything changes in Detroit or there's, there's rumors about any changes, um, you know, they, the people start wondering about Iserman, even like little stuff, like if, you know, he puts his house for sale or whatever, you know, people latch onto that. And now they, is he leaving? Is he going to, is he going back to Detroit every time he goes back for a, a banner raising or a celebration or, or whatever of, of one of the cup teams, you know, that everybody panics. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's kind of a, it's a crazy dynamic. Um, and it's part of being in kind of a, you know, a Sunbelt hockey team fandom where you're always kind of chasing that legitimacy and, and having somebody like him who's, who's a genuine, you know, all time great for one of the, you know, most respected franchises. I think sometimes people wor- people do definitely still still worry, even after everything that's happened um, and all the success they've had. If he would, you know, if the situation was right, would he would he be would he go back? Oh man, I, I cannot wait to hear. I cannot wait to read the comments on this episode <laughs> about. Oh my God, Eisenman really is coming back <laughs> because you know, pretty much he's like, oh my God, he went to a Buffalo Wild Wings. Wild Wings is kind of like Red Wings. He, he, he's just dying. He's dying to yeah. come back. But um, yeah, so th- 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 that's pretty much every every week at Winging in Motown is is uh, is hey. Do you think Eisenman's coming back? When do you think he's coming back? I think he's coming back. But so uh, for me, it's interesting to hear that it that it goes the other way too. So anyway, Alan, thank you, thank you so much for for stopping by. Uh, we really appreciated having you on. Uh, for our listeners, if you don't follow Alan already at, on Twitter, you should. It's at Loser Points. Give him a follow. Again, not, if not for his hockey knowledge, just for the awesomeness of his name. Just please, yes. <laughs> like that's that's all we ask. That's our that's our endorsement. So. Yeah. So yeah. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Alan. Yeah. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. 
You know, growing up, uh, there, I was kind of beat up on the, on the playground and I, but being the hockey fan that I was, I always had this one phrase, Peter, danger, danger, watch behind you. There's a defenseman out to find you. What to do? Just grab on to some puck tails. That's right, folks. Our Emmy and Peabody and Tony and Oscar winning segment, Puck Tales, has returned. Uh, last time I regaled you with Ted Lindsay imaginarily murdering a bunch of Toronto folk. But now it's time to hand the torch over to my good friend, uh, Petey Flynn. Uh, he's, he's got a tremendous, tremendous tale for you today. And it's one of, it's, it's at one of the greatest turnarounds, uh, for, for a city, for a nation, for a galaxy. And, and he was there to witness it firsthand. So Pete, tell me about when the Islanders won their first Stanley Cup of what would be one of the most dynastic runs in the history of this league. Picture it. Sicily, 1933. Now, just kidding. Memorial Day weekend, 1980. Flyers at Islanders, game six. Islanders are up three games to two. Like you said before, Jay, they were, they were the laughing stock of the league. Um, I believe Mario Lemieux had referred to them as a Mickey Mouse organization, which is pretty impressive because Mario Lemieux wasn't in the league yet. Um, he was, I don't know, a little eight-year-old boy told somebody that, and they wrote it down, and, and you know we found out about it later. So the Islanders were trying to win their first, uh, their first Stanley Cup, and they knew they had this phrase on their whiteboard. Um, their coach, Al Arbor, was a, a master motivator, and he was also a part-time uh, predictor. And his phrase on the whiteboard, which everybody laughed at, was, if you win one, you will win four. And everybody was like, win one what? I don't know what you're talking about. And then later he took a picture of the Stanley Cup, and he put it on the whiteboard. And the players still didn't know what he was talking about because hockey players are not the most intelligent people in the world. So anyway, let me just let me just set the stage for you from my personal experience of this. I was born in the fall of 1979. This happened Memorial Day weekend 1980. So I was approximately eight months old. Now, you might say, how could an eight-month-old remember this? How could an eight-month-old be able to understand this? But... I have to tell you that I was very precocious is, is the term that they use um, to describe people who are freaks of nature. And I was able to achieve object permanence at the age of three weeks. So my mom would leave the room. And when she came back, I had written a letter to her explaining that if she did that again, I would call the Department of Youth and Family Services on her for child abandonment. Now, I also had learned to read and write by the age of three weeks, too. Um, I don't know which one is more impressive. But anyway, so I have full recall of what happened in this game because this is going to be important later because I also had other mental faculties that are not usually ascribed to an eight-month-old. So anyway, first period, first period, the, 
not surprisingly for a game featuring teams from New York and Philadelphia, it was a, a very physical affair. Some might call it dirty. One of the people that might call it dirty is the official who handed out over 12 penalties in the first period. Um, I believe one of them was a bench minor. So a group of a group of Islander fans had come to the arena dressed as Santa Claus in an attempt to to distribute toys to disadvantaged youths in the Long Island area. And the local Flyers uh, contingent of fans, in addition to their entire team, started taunting the Santa Claus people and so or the people dressed as Santa Claus. And so that was one of the bench minors. Um, there were other things: punching, kicking. Biting, screaming, uh, crying—I think was one which was interesting. Um, The—I forgot to say—the—the the, the referee was definitely a bit of a man's man, and he was a little—you know—Clark um, Gillies had punched one of the flyers in the face, and the flyer had had one single tear, like 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 the Native American in the commercial. He had one single tear rolling down his cheek, and the referee came up to him, much like today they would look at the you know did did his did his uh, high stick draw blood. They they said did his punch draw a tear, and since the answer was yes, this official said you know what. Two minutes for crying. Don't be a baby next time. So this is just the first period, by the way. This is this is a tremendous game. One of the people that one of the people that had a penalty was Bobby Nystrom. He um, he received a penalty. He received ten minute misconduct. Now he would later say that this would allow him to be fresher later on in the game. And just in case if you didn't know, Bobby Nystrom, he is Swedish. He is of Swedish descent. And so perhaps it might not be as surprising to you, even though it's still pretty shocking, that during the 10-minute misconduct penalty, he arranged to have a full Swedish massage in the penalty box, which really, really loosened him up and allowed him to be both physically and mentally refreshed for, for later on in the game. It was the 80s, so, folks. It was the 80s. Exactly. No exactly. So fast forward, first period still, it, the Islanders score a goal to make it 2-1. to one. Brent Sutter scores, Clark Gillies has a drop pass to Butch Goring, and if you look on YouTube, you can see that the play is clearly offsides. In fact, uh, Leon Stickle was the 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 linesman and that is that is his actual name just in case if you think I'm embellishing any of this that Leon Stickle is his actual name um fun fact his middle name is Pickle his um his parents thought that he was going to going to die either at birth or at a very young age and they had a very strange sense of humor and his father wanted to name him Pickle but his mother thought that that was that was a bit too cruel even though she was laughing so it took her five minutes to, to conduct her. She was like, oh, my God, Pickle Stickle, that's amazing. And so eventually they compromised, and they named him Leon Pickle Stickle. And he is the one that blew the call, as the story goes. Or or is it? Because let me tell you this. I had already learned to dial a phone by this point. And in addition to learning to dial the phone, I had already learned how to file Freedom of Information Act requests. And so I had requested the information of all the linesmen and referees in the National Hockey League. And prior to this game, I had called up Mr. Leon Picklestickle and in my best Italian mobster accent had told him that something very unfortunate would happen to him if he did not ensure that the Islanders won this game. So... He didn't really blow the call, all right? So so don't don't get upset at him, Flyers fans. It's not his fault. It was my fault, and I was eight months old, and even Flyers fans can't be mad at eight eight month old, although they probably will be. So 
We get to the end of the first, it's 2-2. Two to two. The Islanders score two more goals in the second to make it 4-2. to two. The Flyers tie it in the third, sending it to overtime. So this is game six. The Islanders do not want to have to go back to Philly for game seven. They don't want to make that trip. They don't want to have the chance that if they lose, they're going to, they're going to blow this lead. You know, they're, they're going into game six up three to two. All they need is one game, just one game. That's all they had to do. Now, in the locker room, this is a very famous story. In the locker room, the, the, the legendary coach, Al Arbor, that I referred to before, he decided that he was not going to talk to the players. He didn't want to jinx anything. In fact, by, by this time, he had actually written up on the board, he had labeled Stanley Cup under the picture of the Stanley Cup. And he's like, I've done all I can. <laughs> I, if, 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 they, if they can't understand it now, then, then not, they never will. And so he left the room, and he, he, you know, they, they, they're basically just sitting there. And they all look around at each other, and they're like, who's it going to be? Who's going to score the goal? And Bobby Nystrom, he stands up and squirts some massage oil into his hand that he still had, rubs his own shoulders to get himself psyched up for this, and he looks around and he says, I'm going to score the goal. And he said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you know what? I'm pretty sure if we win this, if we win this game and we win this Stanley Cup, we're going to win the next 40 and everybody's like, that's amazing. You crack the code. This is unbelievable. So they go out there. They go out on the ice. And seven minutes and 11 seconds, Bobby Nystrom comes across the blue line. Some people say he was offside, right? Even if he was, you forget. Remember, remember Leon Stickle. Remember that phone call I made with the with the scary sounding voice. And you might say, how can an eighth month old make that happen? That makes no sense. Well, the next day, my father's car, my father's car was picked up by some very burly Italian looking gentleman from New Jersey and they took it away and he never found out why it's a small price to pay for victory, especially since it wasn't my car. So Nystrom comes across the blue line may or may not be offsides. We've already established that he wasn't clearly. And he scores. The place goes absolutely insane. People are hugging. They are screaming. Um, it turned out that it, the, the referee had a change of heart, and, and there's a picture of him with one single tear because it was the most beautiful celebration he had ever seen in his life. And later on, like I said, that next day, when those large gentlemen came up to pick up my father's car, he looked at me and he, and, and he said, How, what are these people doing? Why, why are they saying they'll break my legs if, if, I, if I don't let them have my car? And I looked at my father and I said, yeah, but you won. Yeah, but you won. And that's another puck tale. <laughs> that's right, folks. Eight-month-old Petey staring his father down. Yeah, but you won. And just like with any overtime cup-winning celebration, we've now reached our end. So uh, we had a lot of fun this week. Um, we're really excited. But we also were a little disappointed with the turnout for, for some mailbag questions. So it is is common when we wrap these things up. We always like to remind people that you can follow us on multiple forms of social media. You can follow Pete at P. Flynn Hockey. You can follow myself at the Roar underscore 24. But most importantly, you can follow our Twitter page, which is at 200FootPod. That's 
T-P-O-D. And uh, be sure to just interact with us, you know. We're, we're kind of lonely sometimes, and, and, and we'd, love, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what, what you think. Let us know if there's a topic you'd like us to cover. Uh, we're, we're really open to this type of thing, and, and, it's, and it's just really great to, to have uh, all of you out there listening to our nonsense. But I think, we're, I think we're giving the public what they need because, as they say in the hockey business, but more importantly in the Doc Emmerich business – you really have to mm-hmm. soccer this one. Mm. You really have to soccer this this podcast. I mean, soccer, like so, Jay. How does that one sound? Well, and, and he soccers that one, <laughs> so, which is weird because why he would he use that? Because you'd think that if I mean, is it like a hacky sack motion? Because I know all the hockey players mm. in the hallways they play soccer to yeah. keep their their foot. Dexterity. Like, wouldn't you just say he kicked it? Yeah, but it's Doc, so he has to like be all awesome about it, like not. Yeah. He has to be very um, intellectual. Like, to someone would just say, kid, we're like, oh, and, and the puck careens up, and he soccers with a head. Oh, here comes Jagger. Yeah. He, you know, he, he basically has to keep the people listening who are about to change the channel every time the Pierre, t- Pierre talks. Yeah, and that's really something else. And, again, we'll, we'll debut our, our Pierre segment later in, when the hockey season gets started because it's – it's a doozy, folks. We're just gonna we're just gonna continue to soccer these podcasts along to you, but just stay yeah. tuned. Uh, soccer it to me, I think. Oh, zing! Yeah. Then we have to end the episode. Uh, that is a topical okay. reference. <laughs> that is that is, that very is topical. on point, on brand, yeah. on brand. Yeah. For sure. 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 For sure, 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 for sure.